0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host Andriy Degeler. In our today's episode, listen to an interview with Jennifer Dunks, the thematic field leader energy for transport and mobility at EIT InnoEnergy. In this conversation I talked to Jennifer about the European micromobility ecosystem as a whole, about the value chain of new mobility, about the increasing role of cities in this space and also why EIT InnoEnergy has not invested in Europe's largest e-scooter startups.
1: So, my name is Jennifer Dungs. I come from the United States. Um, I've been working in the automotive industry for the last 20-some years, primarily focused on electric mobility and the new mobility trends, such as connected, autonomous, shared, and electric. And now I'm working at InnoEnergy and responsible for the investments that we do in mobility across Europe and the United States.
0: Right. And before we proceed, uh, can you also introduce Inno Energy? What is the organization like? Uh, what does it do? What it is all about?
1: Yeah. So EIT, Inno Energy is one of the largest um, strategic investors uh, globally, um, investing in sustainable energy topics in any area along the value chain. So anything from renewable energy to energy storage, but also along today's topic, which is transport and mobility.
0: Right. So uh, you so you're talking about mobility, and you've been you've been responsible uh, for uh, for this direction. It's a, it, it sounds like a whole lot, though. It's a, it's a very wide and broad thing. So how do you actually define uh, what you're responsible for in terms of uh, industry, and how do you see the industry itself? How do you categorize it for yourself?
1: Yeah, it's really a good question because actually up until some years ago, let's say 10 years ago, um, there hasn't been so much change in mobility, at least when we also consider the topic of road transport. But now we're really starting to see um, a number of things happen, which is technology trends, which we kind of already mentioned, which is along electric mobility or sharing or connectivity or digitalization. But these trends also being paired with new behaviors from the end customer. So actually, this this information is even different now in the last year and a half since COVID happened than it was even two years ago. But in the last five, 10 years, we've seen more importance along sustainability. Uh, mobility for for people, but also for goods. We see more people interested in um, you know one touch mobility solutions that are well integrated into their whole journey. We see this topic of sharing, which is a new new thing. And so, when we set out the strategy for where we want to participate, basically our focus is on where can we create the most impact with respect to CO2 and energy demand in this whole sector of mobility. So we do look at maritime and we do look at aerospace, but today, because road transport is still about 70% of the contribution of all transport, we focus quite a bit on road transport.
0: So you mentioned that this making an impact. So is that the final goal of the organization or is it still the normal VC returns?
1: Yeah, we're, we're definitely not at... Typical um, animal in that space, looking just for the returns. That's that's not our goal. Of course, we we have a business to run, so we have to consider that. But the the real goal is how to create this impact. And when we think about the impact, there's it, at least in the area of mobility, there's a couple different lenses that you look at. So one is how can we create an impact with our local emissions and and an impact on the citizens, an impact on our cities. On the other hand, when we look at like an EU perspective, how can we create business for the EU long-term in this space of technology development around uh, new sustainable mobility. So anything from battery topics to, if you even look at um, vertical takeoff and landing technologies and things, how can we make sure that we're also participating in those innovations and supporting also the, the culture for the startups and um, yeah, bringing those technologies on the road?
0: Right. And how do you measure all this, your results?
1: Yeah, I would say um, there's a lot of different metrics and, and measures that, that we take a look at. Um, and it also depends on the stage of the company. Like, is it an early stage? Is it more at Series A? Is it something larger? And I think we we definitely measure the CO2 impact of what they plan to do, both near-term and long-term. So we make sure that we're investing in, in technologies that can really scale that's that's quite important, but at the same time, you know, it's not just about the finances and and sales numbers, but it's about how can we support the companies so that they can accelerate their growth. Sometimes that means they need access to private or public financing. Sometimes it means they need access to governance or um, a strong supervisory board or mentors in that ecosystem. Maybe they need support with their supply chain, multi-sourcing or more local production or, or things like that. So it's kind of not a one plan fits all um, and also from what metrics we look at. So we kind of look at for each individual company, what do they need right now? And then what can we do to try to address those challenges and then measure that impact in the, in the near term? But right. hopefully you should and see something in the bottom line as well, that that's going at least in the right direction.
0: Right. And if there is there any particular stage or any particular ticket size that you would normally be uh, writing to companies?
1: Yeah, I'd say uh, that's another place where we're quite flexible. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there are certain topics that are more related to a company being founded. So creating a business. And for those, those are the early ticket. Um, companies, we then have kind of a sweet spot for commercializing uh, vehicles or commercializing the technologies, let's say. Mm -hmm. And for that, that means that we need to connect these startups to um, partners. So whether it's um, partners that support with production or partners that support with um, any kind of Topic that helps them then scale. And we also invest in that space. So really the the step where they go and scale. Um, And then we have other models where we're working with companies that are looking for um, larger amounts of support and funding. And there we're looking on how we can create bankable assets where then by that you can, um, hopefully unlock some, some financing from the banks and, and other ways to support them with, with growth that's like much larger at that point. An example of that mm-hmm. is, is also what you see with Faircore or Northvolt. Um, Faircore and Northvolt are both doing green battery cell production in Europe. And for those initiatives to set that up, you need a massive amount of money, right? So it's, a uh, it's It's about securing end customers and the off takers and then making these assets bankable.
0: Are you among the investors of Northvolt and Faircore?
1: Yes, yeah, so both. Um, so we were an early investor in Northvolt um, and Faircore, um, we helped uh, set up that company. So we really support like the entire value chain. So even in the area of mobility, a lot of the activities, and, and maybe we had talked about it before, were around last mile vehicles. So anything for people and goods, but part of that whole storyline is then the battery. So it's, it's batteries for passenger cars, but of course, coming up from a quantity standpoint, we'll see a lot more vehicles that are um, two and three wheeled vehicles coming up. And so how do we secure the the value chain for that, the cells, the packaging in Europe for all of those new innovations, especially when there's so much competition right now with securing that for the passenger cars?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh the conversation that uh, led uh, eventually to this recording uh, started uh, with this uh, micromobility report uh, that uh, you know energy put out. So, do you uh, do you mind maybe walking me through quickly uh, through the report and the main points that you've been making there?
1: Yeah, sure. So, basically our our motivation for this was just As we've all seen, as as you've seen as well, probably in your own backyard, in the last couple of years, uh, micromobility and scooters and e-bikes have kind of popped up in all of our cities. And I think a lot of us have also recognized that the way that it's been deployed hasn't always been ideal in terms of sustainability and um, safety and like impact. Um, in the cities, because essentially we want to have the right impact of switching people from their car to something like a two or three-wheeled vehicle in the city, and also with with the logistics. So we kind of wanted to look at, okay, what are the biggest challenges in there? Um, What are some solutions? And how can we do this in a systematic way that is sustainable because it's just at the beginning, even though it looks like we have a lot going on and there is a lot going on, um, the place where we want to be by 2030, where we would have a potentially double-digit percentage of our trips in our cities with those types of vehicles is a very big step change. So we came at it from that direction. And when we started to look at it, we were looking at, okay, if we implemented this, what kind of impact could it have? So we started quite academic um, with numbers that are quite well known, which is that in most of our cities, about 60% of our trips are under six kilometers. And then we kind of looked at all the different use cases that we all move around in that six kilometers or less, and really asked the question of those distances, how much could theoretically be done with a vehicle other than a car? And that's when we started this, this exercise. And in the end, what we were calculating was if you replace those kilometers from a car with one of these alternative vehicles, and this also would include delivery vehicles. So instead of using the vans, using something like an e-cargo bike, what would be the impact on CO2 and energy consumption? What would be the impact on jobs in Europe? What would be the impact on congestion, which then translates to um, a GDP amount? And lastly, but not unimportant, how could that affect our space in the cities? And so the numbers in, in there, um, I'll just like give a give a quick mention of them. But it, again, it was about 30 million tons of CO2 that you could save a year. And maybe just to say something about some of the assumptions. So. The CO2 savings comes from a number of different things. So it comes from the assumption of doing more local production and doing the production in net zero production facilities. So using renewable energy and producing locally. Another place where you can have a CO2 savings, for example, is if you use recycled aluminum. So today, a lot of the vehicles, the, the smaller ones, they are using recycled aluminum, but maybe 20%. And actually, in theory, you could actually get up to about 100%. Then there's some topics that are like software-related, so preventative maintenance, over-the-air updates, things like that, where you can actually extend the lifetime of the vehicles. And the lifetime is actually a topic I think also m- most people talk about where in the beginning the vehicles were lasting, I don't know, a couple months. And so in our assumption, we, we said that the, the lifetime could double. And I think realistically it could go much more than that, more than just doubling the lifetime. But those are some of the, the, the inputs that, that we kind of looked at. So producing the battery locally, the vehicle, Longer lifetimes because of a number of reasons, and then that same impact is translated to energy consumption. With the jobs, you know, the what we looked at in this report was about a million jobs, and um, that's about two hundred thousand or so direct jobs, and the rest are indirect jobs. But just to give a context, uh, the whole auto industry is about like 13.8 million jobs. So it's it's a substantial amount of jobs for um, this new business, let's say, or this new uh, sector within mobility. And part of those jobs are for doing the production
0: I see and uh, and so what what was interesting in this uh, report and uh, in the conversations that uh, we had uh, before is this vision of a value chain uh, that you mentioned before that has to be sort of formed uh, uh, in in Europe uh, for for this industry Uh, what uh, what would it look like what do you mean by a value chain Uh when you're talking about it
1: yeah so you know, maybe one of the um, most simple ways to introduce this is that if we think back to the battery for the passenger cars, it was really maybe five years ago, and not not too much uh, longer, that everyone in Europe, the OEMs, etc., said we won't produce the battery in in Europe. It's 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 oh, already too yeah. far ahead, and it's too cheap in Asia, and that's what we're going to do. Then there was a big discussion on what if we did do it here? What does it mean for jobs? What does it mean for our economy and, and, and sustainability as well? And that's when they kind of unlocked this whole topic. And what they did is, um, you know, when Northvolt was founded, you know, they were going to do the cell production. But if you look up and downstream, like, where do you get the raw materials from? Does it make sense that you're sourcing all those raw materials also outside of Europe? And then there was some discussion on, okay no, let's let's set up some mining projects. right So now there are several mining projects actually across Europe, in Spain and elsewhere for raw materials. On the other side of the value chain is recycling. So again what I what it's meant with this whole value chain in in terms of now let's say last mile mobility is where do we get the components from where do we do the mm-hmm. recycling where do we get the battery and kind of the you know at least for the battery it's 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 sort of piggybacking on what's happening with the passenger cars but for the rest of it, um, also the materials. So let's look up and downstream all the way to a closed loop. Um, what part of the value chain can we also have in Europe? It doesn't need to be exclusively one way or the other. I mean, these sectors are so large. There's plenty of room for, um, you know, multi-sourcing and, and business across uh, across the ponds. But shall we not even try it is really the motivation for this Paper And our motivation is to say, yes, we should try it because um, it actually can create a lot of extra business here, in addition to just the local impact that it would have for for you and I in our own
0: cities. Uh, and if you look at uh, how the things are right now, uh, so what parts of this uh, value chain are actually present uh, in Europe at this moment?
1: Um, I think there's, you know, that's a tough question to answer because on one hand, we we have some of this value chain here in the form of our tier one suppliers, our tier two suppliers, let's say for the automotive. Um, we do have part of the value chain, for example, like in Portugal for, for bikes and, and things like that. However, with that being said, they are not fully up and running in the same quantity like they are from from Asia. And I think that's, you know, today, if you, if you talk to a, a company, a startup who wants to produce vehicles, most likely they're still sourcing and doing some production in China. There are ones that are not, but they can't get the the quantity of the, the materials that they need already here. So, like I think the discussions that we're having now is also with the tier one and tier two suppliers from the automotive and saying, hey, are you open to expanding your business outside of just passenger cars into this? Because if they do, then they have probably, yeah, um, many of the core elements within the value chain. They have access to the components and um, production and, and things like that. But it's not kind of set up yet. Yeah. And and, and the other part about it is, you know, with the electric mobility topic, you can see as well as as I can see just the huge um, commitment now from the OEMs, and they're securing the batteries and the whole value chain around it. And you see the different OEMs kind of taking different approaches. What that means, though, is that there's less availability of of batteries then for micromobility in two and three-wheeled vehicles. And so again, I don't know what role regulation shall play in this discussion, but somehow we need to make sure that there's also a priority for these other vehicles. Because in my opinion, if we just switch from combustion engines to electric cars, we did a real disservice to the future of mobility so th- we because that's not enough like we should be using really purpose built vehicles so what is what do you what do you need to do you maybe you need to take yeah your your child later pick them up from school or take them somewhere or, or i need to go get groceries and do we always need to take the car or could we take something else and that's i think that's where i see the end game of all of this
0: mm-hmm. Do you think it's actually realistic to have this sort of prioritization uh, built into this uh, uh, battery production?
1: I think it's quite difficult because it's going to be a business game, right? And the battery cost for the car is going to be significantly more than what it would be for um, an e-cargo bike or, or something like that. But maybe a better way to answer that or to support this is just making sure that those companies like Faircore or Northfold can continue to scale as quickly as they can so that then they have the capacity to do that at some point
0: right so and uh, you uh, being an uh, investor strategic investor as you mentioned uh, so what's your what's your portfolio in this uh, in this industry like what is it you're investing in and how do you how, how do you build uh, your portfolio uh, through this lens of uh, uh creating a value chain in Europe?
1: Yeah. So we have at our company five different portfolios. This one that we're talking about today is the one I'm responsible for, which is just mobility. And we have about 30 different companies in there that we've invested in in the last two years. So we've built it up quite, quite quickly. Um, With that being said, most of our investments, so let's say 80% are in the area of road transport. And again, that's where we mm-hmm. think we can make a, a big impact. And then within this road transport, we've we've spent a lot of time going into the short distance mobility. And within there, we have investments with vehicles for both people and goods. So for people, it's um, e-bikes or um, electric mm-hmm. mopeds like Kumpan. Or on the goods side, it might be e-cargo bikes or also like three wheel mopeds and things like that. But along the vehicles, then we have invested in batteries. Then we have invested in the infrastructure. So there's a company called Duct. They they launched now in New York and in Paris, and they're providing those kind of charge and lock stations for kickboard scooters and mm-hmm. e-bikes. Also, we invested in a company that does removable, swappable batteries for those uh, last mile. So we have the infrastructure, the vehicles, but then also the software, because as I think I m- mentioned just like loosely with the report... You know, having the companies that can do fleet management, that can do predictive maintenance, can do things like that can can also create an impact on the sustainable offer of of those vehicles in the end. Um, Also with route planning and and things like that. So kind of all around there. And then we have some kind of other future mobility um, investments, such as the Hyperloop, which we also invested Mm -hmm. in. So it kind of spans across um, a number of these topics where we haven't invested yet is in um, vertical takeoff and landing. Um, I think that's a space where we're still watching and we also are looking to see how it fits with like being sustainable because if you're only moving a few number of people with such an expensive vehicle, um, you have to kind of check that that kind of makes sense in the end for yeah, equality and things like that.
0: Yeah. And you mean uh, electric uh, to uh, vertical takeoff and landing. Yeah. Winding.
1: Yeah. Everything zero emission. So it can be also mm-hmm. hydrogen? It's also okay.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So, what? Uh, so, so, so the names of companies that I don't hear in this list is uh, the big uh, e-scooter e- and uh, micro mobility operators uh, working in Europe: uh, uh, Voya, uh, Dot, uh, and then the American ones: uh, Bird and Lime. Uh, is this is this a conscious decision not to not to invest in these type of companies?
1: Yeah, like in the middle, let's <laughs> say partially because those companies, as as you know. They have to grow fast, and for that, they need really VC money, right? So they are looking for money to expand and grow as quickly as they can, as many cities as they can. And in so far, in the past, it's really been on that approach, right? Kind of like the land grab approach. Mm-hmm. With that being said, though, now you do see them starting to have more of a focus on sustainability. In the past, that wasn't a big priority. So in the past, it was more like get as many vehicles as you can from Asia and get into as many cities as you can, which didn't really fit our strategy. But also, we probably didn't fit theirs, right? Because they're they they they're also looking for a different kind of investor. Yeah. Now, though, they are very important and very important to this whole like storyline and how will this be implemented and so we're finding different ways to work with them so for example take the removable exchangeable battery um, infrastructure piece like that's called Mm Swabi. they need tier and void as end customers right so they're somehow part of the ecosystem and then we're we try to support within here to, for example, let's say we can um, uh, de-risk this for one of those big players. So let's say Tier or Voi wants to come in and try something like in combination with what they're already doing, but it's with a startup. And we say, okay, we come in and we will de-risk this venture for you by also bringing in like a little bit of financing, but also all these other things that we try to bring in. And then we try to get that whole ecosystem together. If that kind of mm-hmm. makes sense, so it's it's not so easy for us now when they are so big. Um, I think we they are too big for us um, now as a straight investment kind of thing, but they are very important and they will be very influential in how this all gets designed. I mean, if one of them made a commitment to um, now do production or batteries in Europe, this this would have an impact.
0: So are you in touch with them? Uh, Do you actually see them being interested in uh, the same things as you're interested in?
1: I do. I do. I think um, if you see now, I think one interesting piece that is subtle, but I think we've all kind of noticed it in the last, let's say, two years, is the role that the cities are playing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning of this, I think the cities were just… uh, this was just sort of thrown into their city and now you see like maybe with the paris example again it's it's a good one where they kind of kicked everybody out and they said wait a minute let's let's redo this and now here's our guidelines and our um our requirements and now those players have to play with it or abide by it and because of that And in those requirements, it is about sustainability. It is about safety. It is about the citizens and and creating the right environment. And because of that, I think that's another reason why those big players are starting to rethink some things. Because they they do need to fit into those city requirements. And the people, too. I think all of us as well, we, we also are having a voice to say, Hey, we don't, we don't want them just thrown everywhere, blocking the sidewalks. (laughs) So I think we're seeing now those big players start to be more aware and kind of change their strategy.
0: Right, and at the same time as uh, we also discussed uh, previously, these big players tend not to look too much at uh, smaller cities, at tier two cities, and uh, and, and uh, you and you uh, at the same time uh, you pay some attention to it, right? So you, you're you're more looking at companies that uh, could be interested in going into these uh, smaller markets.
1: Yep. So I think like our motivation or what's interesting for us is when we can create these mode switches. So meaning a mode switch from the car to something else. and or creating a mode switch that like promotes public transport or walking or biking or or something in that in that space as well. And what you see in the tier two cities, for example, is that they're interested in connecting some of these types of vehicles. With their public transport. So in, in that case, you know, it's called more the first and the last mile because maybe the first is actually in a tier two city. That's your first mm-hmm. mile and your last miles in the, the bigger city. But what's very interesting about that is that you can get a whole different, um, yeah, business case because when you have... The seamless um, integration of maybe maybe it's e-bikes, maybe it's some cargo bikes that also carry kids, maybe it's the kickboard scooters, maybe it's mopeds, and if they were then seamlessly integrated in that first mile with um, the public transport, then maybe you have a whole different uptake of of that that together as a mode, and and people not then taking their car. To drive to the city, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what's what's interesting is if we can create that mode switch there.
0: Right. And out of curiosity, uh, personally for you, what do you think is the main uh, vehicle uh, for uh, for this switch? Is it an e-moped? Is it an uh, e-scooter? Is it an e-bike, uh, e-cargo bike? What, uh, what what do you find um, the most, uh, um, yeah, the the best for for yourself?
1: Yeah, like for myself, actually. Um, I'm I'm sitting currently in Stuttgart, which is a quite hilly mm-hmm. city. So um I would I would definitely choose something with a little bit of power. <laughs> so yeah, I I would either take, you know, like a souped up e-bike um, but or like an e-cargo bike. But I think you know it's such a good question um because and you see the same thing in e-commerce. There are so many different use cases, right? So you have the younger demographic, the older demographic, the I need to carry stuff, you know, use case. Um, It just, it really changes. And I think even any one of us, we may not have the same preference in, in some years from now. We may also change. And so I think it's a really important message that we need these fleets, just like we do today with cars. There isn't one car. You know, you, you have the the two-door convertibles, you have the SUVs, you have the sedans, you kind of have everything. And we do need that same kind of choice around this because otherwise we rule out too many use cases. Um, If you're heading out with a night of friends, maybe you don't all want to take e-cargo bikes, right? You just want to jump on the kickboard scooters. It depends on your distance. Um, So I think it depends, but um, yeah, for me, I living where I live with a little bit of Hills, I would take something with some more power. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, How about yourself? What Um, would you take? So I have been known uh, for a long time on this uh, show, and also among uh, my colleagues, on tech and take you, as someone who hates electric scooters. Okay. So even <laughs> even, even, even though there are no scooters in a, in the city and the country I, I live in, but uh, I don't like them. But uh, I do I do like the idea of uh, e-bikes in general, even though I live in a very flat country. So in general, I prefer just normal bike. That's uh, that's my transport of of choice. But yeah, for something bigger, I would uh, like for transporting uh, my son, for example, for a longer distance. I would definitely go for a for a cargo e bike mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Would you share it or would you want to own it?
0: <laughs> it's a good question, but I think I would uh, I would rather go for owning, mostly because I don't see it being positioned conveniently enough for me to go uh, to go and grab it. Yep, pure answer. Yep. <laughs> 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 anyway, so to, to, to wrap this up, I wanted to ask the last uh, question about uh, about the regulation because, uh, like, right now, it's one of the uh, one of the topics that have been discussed around the micromobility industry. We uh, also had a column uh, run by uh, Samuel Stolten on uh, Tech recently on this, and the whole uh, message right now is that uh, the regulation uh, across the European Union, across Europe, uh, around e scooters and general micromobility is uh, more of a patchwork than uh, uh, and it's in an, coherent. So is this something that you're also looking at is this something you're working on and how do you see it playing out uh, in the in the future? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, you definitely see that there's no comprehensive like plan. However, with that being said, I don't know that at the EU level that they should be making the plan for this hmm. topic at the city level. I think there should be like guidelines so this whole topic of production or you know how yeah like how maybe recycling the the lifetime of the vehicles things like that there should be guidance there as well as um the batteries for sure um i think the topic of swappable batteries has also been quite quite interesting also from a sustainable you know perspective but the cities i think need to have space so what you said you know in, in where you live they're not allowed. And I I don't think that it should be some other um, level of regulation that says that they shall be allowed. So I think there needs to be some flexibility with that. But then again, with the mode switch in connection to public transport, I do think all cities should take a look, and at the EU level, how the funding connected to public transport and things like that could be opened to allow for these other types of transport that are not cars. Mm -hmm. So I don't think this is something that should just be solely like at an EU level or at a national level, but without some kind of nudge, it might be difficult to get the uptake where you want to see it. But for me, the nudge comes more from infrastructure than anything else. Mm-hmm. So if we if we have no sidewalks that provide a safe environment for for riding some of these things, and you have to ride them on the same area as where the people are walking, I think that's you can have the best vehicles, you can have the best whatever, but this is just not a safe environment. So you really have to start with the infrastructure. But if you look at what they're doing in the U.S. and also in Europe, there's a lot of initiatives going in the direction of infrastructure. So hopefully they can include that. Also for delivery vehicles, right? You don't want to walk in a, in, a, in a walk lane, a pedestrian lane, and have some super large one meter wide cargo bike come whizzing by, right? So they, they really have to do that for both people and goods.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Jennifer, thanks a lot for joining today. Thanks a lot for providing uh, this uh, interesting perspective on uh, on the industry. And uh, good luck. Uh, good luck with everything you're doing at uh, Inno Energy.
1: Thank you, Andre, for for having me, and thank you all for listening. And yeah, hopefully we talk or see each other again sometime in the future.
0: And this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much to Jennifer for joining this show and big thanks to you for listening. If you like our podcast, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts and if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engine unit is done by sound Pulse. That is sound Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are always very welcome. Please send them by email to podcast at This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andre Degler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy your week. Bye bye.